This is episode number 141 of the Rising Man podcast with Phil Gomez. If trauma is generational, then healing must be too. Welcome back, Rising Man family. Jetty Azuma here, your host and creator of this show, as well as the founder of the Rising Man movement. And I am so honored to be sitting in this seat behind this microphone speaking to you today. It's always a great honor for me to speak to the men and the women who are tuning in, who are listening in and support of this mission we have to initiate an entire generation of men into leadership and to powerful purpose. It's a really big mission. (laughs) I've been reflecting on it more and more these days of just what we've actually taken on here to impact the world in a big way, to impact the world, not just for tomorrow, but for several generations from now. One of my mentors, a man who's been on the show a couple of times, Chief Philip Scott, he talks about having a 500 year plan, 500 year plan plan that goes way beyond your last breath and that's something that's been really working me (laughs) a lot of thought goes into a 500 year plan and the guest that I have on today's show is a man who really takes that on so before I introduce my guest for today I just want to remind you guys as I say each and every week that the only way that we keep growing the only way that we get closer to achieving our mission of having an entire generation of initiated men who are able to lead the coming generations is by having you lean in. Lean into the uncomfortable parts of your process. Lean into your growth. Challenge yourself to face off with the uncomfortable. Put yourself in a circle with other men. Let yourself be seen and look into the mirror of what other men have to show you. And there's no better way to do that than by participating in the different levels and tiers of Rising Man community that we have. Whether it's our virtual men's fire circles or our 12-week journey through the Inferno, where you get to be on a team led by myself and the man who happens to be a guest with me today. Or if you're ready for a ceremonial initiation, four-day fast in the wilderness, no food, solitude, communing with yourself and that deep internal voice of truth on the journey we call compass. Whatever's calling you, whatever's beckoning you forth further into your growth, further into your self-discovery, I challenge you to step forward, step up, step into it because we're counting on you. We need you to do this. We need you, every single one of us, need you to be the man that you always know you could be. And the only way you do that is by challenging yourself. It's not a comfortable journey, I promise you that. It's not easy, definitely not an easy journey but it's rewarding and it's fulfilling. So whatever that calling is, you can find it at risingman.org. So go check it out right now before you listen to the episode. Go see which one calls you the most and get yourself registered and enrolled right now, today. There's no reason to wait. All right, let me introduce my guest for today. It's a man who has been on this show, gosh, I think this is his fourth appearance. He's one of my closest brothers and friends on this planet. A man by the name of Phil Gomez. Phil is a rites of passage guide, a men's coach, and a devout walker of the Native American path and traditions. Phil has been in the field of men's work and transformational leadership for the past eight years, with the recent focus of bringing men's work to men of color. 
From leading men's teams to walking the red road as a sun dancer and serving as an assistant to Native American church ceremonies for over six years, Phil's committed his life to being in service to the practices, rituals, and ceremonies that have been the catalyst for a 180 degree turn in his life. From intimate conversations to bluntly calling a man forward into his power, to building groups of men on nature fasts, Phil is driven by his dream of creating a world where men of color can rediscover who they are, where they come from, and what they are up to. For Phil, everything he does is for the sake of guiding others to become stronger leaders in order to create a better world for the next seven generations. In this episode, we dove deep into the topic of decolonization and how this popular topic affects us all, regardless of race, creed, or color. Phil gave us his definition of decolonization and the depth to which he's examined this topic. We spoke about the save me culture and how disempowering it is to wait around for the government, new legislature, or some other leader to save the day. Phil gave his perspective as a biracial man of color growing up in a wealthy Caucasian neighborhood, how he learned to show people what they wanted to see instead of who he really was, and why he's so passionate about helping men rediscover their truth and live a passion-driven life on this planet for the sake of the next seven generations. Without further ado, Phil Gomez. All right, Rising Man fam, got Phil Gomez back in the hot seat, back in the building. I think this is round number four, right? Is this the fourth time you've Something been Something like that. Four is a good number, man, so ding, it's ding. good to be here again. Ding, ding, completing that cycle, man, sacred hoop style. How is it up in Truckee right now, man? It's really nice, man. Like fall is setting in. It's nice to be uh, back in seasons, which is odd, you know, for the last four, almost five years, just been like eternal spring kind of slash summer being in Southern California. And yeah, it's like getting to the mid thirties in the morning and colors starting to change, but you know, still waking up at the butt crack of dawn and going water skiing every morning. So tell us about that water skiing ritual real quick before we jump into what we got here today. Yeah, man, this is like the, like the favorite part of my life right now. Hopefully my wife doesn't listen to this, but yeah. So every morning wake up now I'm waking up at around six, it's a little later since it's getting lighter later, wake up, go get my son out of his crib and, uh, get myself some coffee, get him some breakfast. And then me, him and his granddad, my father-in-law, we hit the road, drive about 10 minutes, go over to Donner Lake, this beautiful summit Lake here in Truckee and hop in and just shred it up. We get up nice and early. So we get that beautiful glass and it's just been this beautiful ritual, you know, nice cold water early in the morning, nice adrenaline rush early in the morning and just beautiful. I get to share it with my son now too. So it makes it even more special. Heck yeah, man. If there's one thing that you hope he gets from those ritual mornings that you're sharing together, one memory that he has, what do you hope that sticks with him? I, what I hope he really remembers is like the car ride there and back because he uh, it's the only time that we allow him to not be in a car seat. Don't tell the feds, you know, but it's just me, him and granddad, you know, so it's like the in the mornings, like he's just in the back seat with me and he's like acting a fool. And then we're all just like laughing and telling jokes and shooting the shit in the morning, you know, and then he's just like so into the routine. So I think something about that element of like, we just did it every day, no matter what, no matter how cold it was, we just like, we were together. <laughs> I love that, man. I love seeing the pictures of him out there on the lake with you. He'll remember that for his whole life, I'm sure, you know, at least the impression of the feeling, right? And when you're a kid, it's the feelings that you, that stick with you. So 
So yeah, man, thanks for sharing that. You know, for anyone who's been listening to the podcast for a while, they've heard your name or they've heard an episode with you on there for sure. You know, you and I have known each other for going on 17 years now and so much of what I've created has been possible because of the way that you supported me. And so I'm always honored when I get to share you with the rest of the world like this. And we've come on here, we talked about brotherhood. We talked about our relationship and so many people, they say they love seeing us hang out together because it shows them what real friendship can look like, you know, when you've got that investment in each other. And we've come on here, we talked about rites of passage. We talked about a lot of the passions that we share. But the topic we're going to talk about today, man, I know is, is particularly close to your heart. And I know it's a journey that you've walked for your whole life, literally your whole life. You're beginning a new chapter with it. And I know that a lot of it is connected to the emergence of the Black Lives Matter movement and a lot of the events that have unfolded in the past several years, but especially in the past few months. I know things have really hit a boiling point. So I thought it would be a good place to start by asking you to share the story about when you were driving through Truckee. I remember you telling me this story and I didn't ask you about this beforehand, but I hope that you'd be happy to share it. Just that experience of driving through Truckee, a place that, you know, there's, there's not a lot of colored folks up there and seeing the protests and the rallies going on while you were driving through. Would you share that, some of that with us before we get started? Absolutely, bro. I really appreciate you asking me that. As you know, I'm not really good with like feelings and emotions. It's something that's a big part of my work and a big thing that I'm actively becoming better at. And part of that is like my autopilot really just blocks off memories, even if they were powerful. It's like, you know, something that's encoded in, in me that I'm recoding right now. But yeah, that, that was a really powerful moment. So I'm just thinking back, you know, kind of George Floyd happened, there was civil unrest all around the country. And then all these peaceful protests started like happening everywhere. You know, there's a part of me that just felt, I felt really happy. You know, when I first heard about the George Floyd thing, it was like kind of this element of like almost desensitized to it, bro. It's like, here we go again. Like just another dude that looks like me or looks like my uncle that got killed by the cops. Right. Which is like really weird, really, really weird and painful to even think that that's like the first thing that crossed my mind. But then to see all these things that were stemming from it, conversations and actions and protests. So a lot of joy came from that. And then, you know, it comes to my knowledge that there's going to be one here in Truckee. You know, my wife, I'm married to a white woman and she really wanted to go, you know, in support because she, you know, she really had had enough. And she asked me if I wanted to go. And I sat and thought about it and I was like, I don't really know. I don't know. I'm not going to answer you. So anyway, I had to go to the grocery store because probably diapers or milk or who knows what, you know, how it goes as a dad. And so I passed by all these people setting up for the protest and just like looking at all these like predominantly white faces and signs with names and everything. Like I'm just in my car, bro. And I just like, I just started bawling, you know? And there was this sense of like, there was a sense of one, the realness and allowing myself to just be fed up and feel the pain of like people looking like me and my homies like being killed. And then there was this other sense of like, I don't want to be at an event and be like the token black dude either, you know, and this sense of like everyone looking to me for something or like, oh, I can only wonder what that guy's going through and like not being able to share the sentiments that I was feeling, the, you know, being fed up, being pissed off, being hurt, like really couldn't share it with anyone else in the same way. So yeah, just driving through that protest, like all those emotions really just came to a point. I just started bawling in my car by myself, 
and showed up back at the house and kind of went in my room and just kind of kept, you know, spent that time by myself. But a lot of, a lot of strong emotions came up there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember you telling me that story when we had a conversation on the phone and it was so it's something that I've shared here because I've, I've had a couple of, of guys here on the show since George Floyd and all the other events that unfolded just to talk about this. Cause I realized there was a huge blind spot that I had. And I mean, I minored in social justice in college, right alongside you, you and I, I say we grew up together, you know, when we were, you know, from when we were 17 years old, we've known each other. And in the conversations that unfolded from that time, not more about you than I ever had before, but many things I didn't know about you. And that told me something. If this man that I love, that I trust, that knows more about me than anyone in the world, and and there's things that I don't know about his experience, that's a problem. And it made me even more curious about what's really going on. And I've loved how that's propagated this inspired journey that you've been on to take all this experience that you have in men's work and rites of passage work as a sun dancer, as a ceremonialist, and bringing that to the community that doesn't have access to it. And so I know that the big buzzword right now that I think a lot of people could use more clarity on is decolonization. So I wanted to ask you to define it the way you define it first. What is decolonization? What's all that about? Right. So, you know, this is a concept that was first brought to my awareness in some of my indigenous brothers, you know, out on um, Diné land, Navajo Nation out there, Arizona. It was the first time this idea of decolonizing of this concept came up at the same time. I was like, what, what does that mean? And so for me, how I hold it, it's like, it is the process of naming information and history and stereotypes and all these things that have been put onto us in the sense that they are true or under the facade that they are true and things that we have adopted that are not our own, you know? So I guess for example, the first one that comes to my mind, especially predominantly for men of color and men of African ancestry, people of African ancestry is just like the storyline that we are descendants of slaves, right? So like pretty much all through all of our schools, you know, elementary school, high school, there's like the narrative is that our history began with slavery, right? And then there's this like kind of all this other history that is African history, like Egypt and all these other things end up being like whitewashed, right? So like the decolonized thought is me thinking that I am a descendant of slaves, as opposed to the narrative that I am a descendant of astronomers and philosophers and mathematicians and, you know, people that have done amazing things that happen to have been enslaved at one point in time and then were brought here, right? So it's just like this bigger depth. So, you know, decolonizing can be for uh, indigenous people, right? It can be for people of color. It can be for men, right? Decolonizing masculinity. That's like a big thing that I stand for as well. And, you know, a big part of men's work, at least how I see it. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. I love the way you explain that. And even that example that you give, it's, I found myself even saying, yeah, there's a part of me that believes that too, just because of the conditioning, just the, the miseducation of children and what we learn in history books and what we see on TV, what we're led to believe. It's amazing how deeply rooted that becomes in the mindset. I'm myself, am not an Af- of African descent, but I can imagine what it must be like to have it in your mind that, oh, I come from a long line of slaves. That's like where my history started. And that's one of the big eye-opening things for me is realizing that African history and descent goes way beyond that. That was only like 400 years ago. <laughs> you know, we're talking about thousands and thousands of years, millions of years of history before that. But there's like this break in the chain so that the only thing that 
that folks of African descent or even from other minority backgrounds know is that brief amount of history from when we came here and started feeling less than. Absolutely, man. And then, you know, the thought that comes to my mind is like, if you think of like Dr. Rimoto, who did these studies with water, right? And the affirmations are words that you speak to water, right? So it's like positive affirmations or positive things and then negative things. And, you know, from that, he determined that it kind of changed the molecular structure of the water. So like, you're telling me if you tell a kid that he comes from slaves, right? that that isn't going to have some sort of negative effect on him, right? Or that's not going to alter how he sees himself and how he sees mathematicians, you know, people who were incredible navigators and explored the world and put their fingerprints all over the world, right? It's, it's two separate stories and they were going to lead to two separate things, right? So I think it, it's like the part of the decolonization is that there is a narrative that's given because it serves a certain purpose. And I think, you know, in this day and time, it's like this capitalist society that allows, you know, riches and money to be hoarded by certain people, right? So there's a narrative that has allowed for that to happen, right? Or allowed for it to get to where it is now, right? So the other narrative is not really in service to that, but that's kind of where this sense of autonomy comes in, where, you know, there's a certain point of like reclaiming power, right? Giving the power giving away has just been, which we all do, is just not just men of color, but power given away of like allowing me how I'm supposed to show up or these stereotypes about myself, you know, so there's a certain point where it has to be like, boom, foot down, that's not me. I'm actually going to open. It gets to this point where all of us, and you know, maybe it's a point of enlightenment, maybe it's a, a point of just like kind of that wake up call, which a lot of people have that moment. And if you have it, it's coming, right? Where you just realize things aren't as they seem and there's just more to life. There's more to what has been presented to me. And in that moment, that's when you begin the process of unlearning or decolonizing. And what that does is clears the slate for you then to be able to write your own story, write your script, be the man who you want to be. Right. Yeah. And it's this element of intentionally causing people to forget who they are and where they come from. And, you know, we've talked a lot about this on the podcast before, just in terms of ancestry and anybody who's come to these United States of America, who wasn't born here, who's not native to this land, comes from a culture or tradition that was largely left behind. Obviously there's traces of it. And there's people who would say that's part of what makes America so great is that there's this diversity of culture and tradition here. But most people, most men that I talk to, they don't know where they came from. They don't speak the language of the land that they came from. They don't know who their great grandfather was who came over and and migrated to the States. They don't know what his life was like. They don't know what their family did when they came from another country, whether they were from Europe or from Africa or from Eastern Asia, wherever it was, they, they don't, they don't have any, any concept or context for that. And I think that's, that's really, that's really damaging. It's really dangerous to have people who don't know where they come from. But what I'm also hearing you say is it's, it's a very convenient thing for governments and bodies of influence to be able to manipulate people if they don't know who they are and they don't know where they come from. Absolutely, man. I mean, for me, it kind of goes back to this law of equal exchange. So I think there's a point in time where a lot of people's ancestors kind of came to this precipice of making a decision, giving up my cultural way of life, that identity, that way of being for this other way of life that for them seemed to provide more security, more stable way of making money, 
having a roof over your head, having land, you know, this is the big purpose for a lot of people that, you know, or a lot of people of European descent that traveled from there to here. So, you know, I, I think to some degree, people thought they were doing the best thing as possible by giving up these traditional ways, right? But there's an element, especially now with the state of the climate and everything, that I think there has been a big awakening to this element of knowing how to live with the land and community in conjunction with the land is actually a more sustainable way of living and, and allows for longevity, not just for the land itself, but for people. So there's kind of this like the quick fix or, you know, really staying true and doing something that's like playing the long game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. And from what I'm hearing, it, it sounds like decolonization is more than just a minority issue. It's not just a black issue. It's not just a Latino issue. It's, it's bigger than that, right? That's a fact, bro. That's a fact. I mean, decolonization is an issue for all people because we've all been colonized. You know, even the colonizers have been colonized. That's really it. You know, the story might be a little bit different. It's a different chapter, but it's all the same book. You know, so if you go far back enough, all of us come from land-based peoples, you know, some now that changed in different times throughout history, right? And, you know, there's been plenty of people whose ancestors have done bad things, right? Or things that, you know, a lot of people talk about healing their lineage and things that have happened, you know, at the end of the day, all of us hear this one sliver of truth or of the narrative or of history. And that's what we attribute to being right or to being the way or the truth. Right. So it's really all of our jobs to open our minds to the actual history of the world and how things came to be, how they are now. So that then from there, we can purposefully step forward and create a better world. Yeah. And this is where I like to inject this part of the conversation where, you know, I still see a lot of I understand a lot of the anger, you know, as people are becoming more aware of what's been going on, you know, kind of the veil is lifted. Anger, grief, sadness. I understand all of that. But I also feel like I see a lot of people getting mired in the victimhood or the victim mentality of look at all this stuff that's happened to us. And I know the type of man that you are. I know that you're a solution oriented kind of guy. And I see this save me culture. It's like someone is like there's groups of people that are waiting for a government or a new political leader or somebody to come along and, and save the day, you know, kind of turn the tides. But for everything I'm hearing from you is that this is about personal accountability, that we have a responsibility to decolonize ourselves. Absolutely. The quote that comes up for me, it's, it's not our fault, but it is our responsibility, right? So there's, you know, all of us, I mean, we're, we're talking about decolonization and history and, you know, atrocities that have been committed, but all of us have trauma and things that have happened throughout our lives, each and every one of us, right? And so a lot of these things maybe happened when we were kids, maybe it happened before we had any sort of choice or say in the matter, right? So it's not our fault, but it is our responsibility to heal and take care of ourselves so that we can show up responsibly for this world and not just the world now, but like for the world that we're going to leave our children and our children's children and seven generations to come. So for me, it's that sense of action. And I think, I think the the emotional part of it's super important, man. Like the anger, the grief, the everything being fed up, like all that is really important and it needs to flow because it's also part of that getting back to a clean slate so that then you can move forward from this beautiful area, right? 
I think, you know, a lot of things can come from emotion, but I think in when people really heal and work with and go to bat with their traumas and their histories and their past and can then uh, not necessarily leave those emotions and things behind, but can work with those emotions from a healed state, they create beauty, man. They create, you know, they create the things that are going to change the world. Mm hmm. I like that, especially you being a self-proclaimed man who has a hard time with emotions. What have you discovered about the role that emotions play in liberating yourself? Hell yeah, man. Well, I'll talk a little bit about that just so that in like my personal story and journey, the concept of decolonizing masculinity, my story of that is like many dudes stories like, yeah, I, I grew up like watching TV and sports and like, you know, my concept of what masculinity was, was the strong, active, like didn't give a fuck about anything like cowboy, you know, for me, that's what I always wanted to emulate. That's what I always wanted to be because those were always the guys that got the girls and those were always the guys that got all the praise. And, you know, so that's what I learned. That's what I had no reason to not believe that. Right. No one was telling me that but it's not really like that. And even my dad, you know, he, he wasn't like some war hero, but, you know, he was a hardworking dude who was just like all about forward progression. And, you know, the stories he told me was about, you know, him immigrating from Colombia and, you know, pretty much picking himself up from his bootstraps, you know, very admirable things that I, that I still admire him for. So anyway, there really was never a space of like, oh, this is a good reason to give or share your emotions. That's going to help you get more women or get more praise or get more glory. That never even crossed my mind. So that has kind of continued even into my adulthood. And you know, now I'm more self-aware of it and working on it. But what I've realized in becoming a man and having been so disconnected from my emotions, it really robbed me of tapping into my passion because passion is an emotional thing. And passion is like a strong fucking fire, man. You know, that like when you can tap into your passion, you can create incredible, beautiful things that are huge or bigger, things that you wouldn't even think you're capable of doing from that place of passion, right? So if you don't have, I didn't have any emotion, right? I, I didn't have any way of tapping into emotion and just kind of let things slide off my back. Right. So when it came time to, you know, someone asked me, you know, what are you passionate about? What do you want to do? How do you want to change the world? It's like, well, I don't know, because that's an emotional thing. It's not a logical thing. You can't reason your way into passion. That's like really, I would say, how it's affected me the most being detached from my emotions. Yeah. Right on, man. So, yeah, man, I really appreciate that perspective. And I agree with it that that emotional energy emotions are energy right they're they're energy that we don't have control of you know i think that that belief that myth that we have control over our emotions is is false i think that for me at least in my experience is building an awareness of when i'm in an emotional state and when my emotions are throwing me for a loop so that i can experience them acknowledge them catch myself and then return back to choice because for me, I don't choose how I feel. If something makes me sad, I feel sad. And if I try to override that sadness and don't express it, it's like what you were saying, you know, kind of stuffing it down and experiencing all the effects of that. But when that emotion is allowed to be felt and then channeled into something that you're choosing, that passion, that purpose, that direction, it powers the machine. It fuels the drive. And I know I've seen that in myself and I've seen that in the men around me. So I understand the emotional piece now. 
But on this topic of decolonization and remembering who we are, where does the conversation of purpose and direction come into the picture so that we can take all of that passionate energy and channel it into it? Right. So I think there's a step in between those two, right? So there's the unlearning and then there is the learning, right? Or the knowledge of self, which I think you have already started to describe in the sense of self-awareness. So I have an emotion arise. So first it takes an awareness to even realize that you have emotion, right? Because if not, then you just like catch yourself in the middle of yelling at your wife, right? So first it takes that awareness to realize that I have this emotion and then it takes the awareness or then, you know, kind of knowledge yourself is diving deeper into like, where did that emotion come from? Right. So, uh, for example, today, my wife and I were having a conversation and she was like, you know, we haven't had a date night in a while. Right. And so my first reaction was to get defensive and be like, what about all these things that I am doing? You know, and like, you know, it's just kind of this defensiveness. That's that's the emotion that, that came up and it's like trying to protect myself and what I am doing. So the knowledge of self is then going diving further deeper and just me realizing like, wow, I'm just trying to be a good boy and more committed to being a good boy and protecting my good boy reputation than like actually just listening to what my wife is trying to say, which is not attacking me at all. Right. So essentially for me, how I see it is like knowledge of self is like the number one virtue. That's how I see it. So it's not like a moment where it just happens like, okay, now I know myself, but it's just the lifelong process of getting to know your inner workings, how your emotions work. What are the things that drive you? What are the things that you're passionate about? What are the things that you don't really like? What are the problems in the world that you are really um, interested in finding, solving? right? What is your history? Who are the people that you came from? What did they enjoy doing? What did your ancestors bring to this world? All of these things are culmination of this knowledge of self. And for me, it's just, it's all encompassing of the three planes, the physical, the mental, and spiritual. So not just your emotions, but knowing what you're capable of physically and knowing how to take care of your body and knowing how to, how far you can push your body. Spiritually, knowing what a spiritual practice does for you and knowing what this contemplation of a higher realm does for your outlook on life. So, you know, there's really many aspects to it. And I guess, you know, if you're adding it on to the unlearning, I kind of see it as like the moral reformation. So redefining what are my virtues and values and morals as a man or as a person. So that's essential. If you don't have that, so there's the unlearning and then there's the emotions with it. And then from all of that, you're coming to naming yourself, you know, so love Joseph Campbell and the hero's journey. So, you know, you're at this, you get to this precipice where it's like, you get to define who the hero is. You get to write this hero's story. You get to, you are now the author. So who is this man? And then once you do that, then you can step into purpose, but you can never create a purpose from a space of not knowing your true self. It won't. Mm. Yeah. It's an interesting concept. And I think I see a lot of young guys who fall into that trap of hearing the message that they should have a purpose, whether it's from their parents or it's from social media or a podcast by some guy that's talking about purpose all the time that I should have a purpose and that's what I need to do. Before they get to that point of learning, like you said, knowing who they are. And it's amazing. I, I see that in my own journey where I remember I needed to leave everything that I thought I knew, everything that was comfortable to learn more about who I was. What matters to me? What does the world see when I'm encountering people who don't know any of my history, don't know where I come from? A lot of that for me came from traveling the States, traveling up and down the West Coast, some international travel and 
having these experiences where I was on my own. Especially when I talk to young guys, guys like in their early 20s, mid 20s, if they haven't gotten out of their mom's basement, if they haven't got out of the you know five block radius of the town that they grew up in, then to me, that's one of the most essential things is getting out of that zone. I see the parallel between what you're saying here. If you always are having reinforcing the ideas of who you are and what life is all about by internally, by what you've learned and what you've internalized and externally by what you see around you, then how could you possibly consider something different? And then I see the generational cycles of that, right? Because then you do that for a whole lifetime then you, and then you have a, a child and then you teach your child to do that same thing over and over again. I mean, how many of our friends are growing up and raising families now in the same neighborhood that we grew up in, that they grew up in and doing the same things? It's crazy, man. So I really like that. I, you know, the visual I had in my mind was like, you know, those like Etch-A-Sketch pads, you know, it's like kind of like you like shake it up and just get it all blank slate again, like you said, and then drawing in there, authoring what you, what you want for yourself. And then from that place, then we get to living your purpose, living your truth. So why don't you talk a little bit about that phase? Yeah. So that's a big phase. I would say even for myself, it's still something that's uh, clarifying and I'm, I'm pretty clear on what it is, but there's still, it's still dynamic. I guess essentially like from, I'm thinking about young guys, cause that's like what you brought up. Like before you can have a purpose, you got to have a code, you know, you have to have like, what is it that you stand for? Like, forget about what is it like, this is what I'm here to do. And this is how I'm going to change the world. This is that. It's just like, what do you stand for, bro? You know, what's important to you? Like, is honesty important to you? Good. Then be honest all the time. All the opportunity. As soon as you claim that honesty is your virtue, you better believe life is going to give you a bunch of opportunities to not be honest, right? So what's your code? Is it honesty? Is it commitment, right? Is it service? Knowledge of self, right? There's so many virtues that are out there. Truth is another big one that, for, at least for me, and I know a lot of men out there being in these men's workspaces, truth is a big one. So, you know, that, that's what I think is really the first thing. I think we can get so caught up on like, what is it that I'm going to do? And then, you know, the colonized part of that to bring that back into the conversation is like, what am I going to do for money? How am I going to make money? Right. As opposed to like, how am I going to be helpful? How am I going to be able to be in my power and feel like have more energy than ever and be helpful? A man on purpose, that's what he looks like. He's on fire. He's just like, how does this dude not like never sleep? And how does he, how's he able to keep going? It's because he's being fueled by his passion and he's being helpful, which again is like, I think one of the, the base layer importance in our DNA as men is like, we want to be helpful and useful. We can't let that dime that you just dropped blow past. We got to back it up like 30 seconds. The colonized mindset of working, making a living versus making your life be about service. That that's huge right there. I mean, even in the way that we communicate, how often is one of the first questions you ask somebody when you meet them, what do you do for a living? Versus like, what do you do to be of service in the world? It's like it's, it's these subtleties, man. They're so amazing how they're so woven into the fabric of our culture. Absolutely. Like, yeah. Why aren't we asking like, how do you want to make the world a better place? Or what problem do you want to solve in the world? Right. Or what example do you want to leave for your kids? You know, all these things that are actually way more effective and way more, I guess, as far as sustainability as the continuing of life, you know, of human life on this planet, you know, those things are way more pro that as opposed to like, how can you make more money, right? That, that's, I think, a big part of how we're in the situation that we're in now with the state of the climate of the world and all the civil unrest, you know, it's just been hyper-focused on this one thing that actually doesn't tap into any sort of emotion 
And, you know, maybe one out of every some odd person happens to just land this corporate job that they actually really love and they're making a bunch of money doing it, you know, and that's great for those people. But, you know, a lot of times we just lose sight of like, how can I be helpful? Yeah, man. You got me tripping off of these colonized ideas now. I'm thinking back to when I was in grammar school, all the things that just became routine to say, right? Even the question of what do you want to be when you grow up and how often that question's answered by an identity of an astronaut or a fireman or a policeman, you know, a doctor. And that's more about doing, you know, a fireman does something versus instead of what do you want to be, how do you want to be when you grow up? How do you want to help people when you grow up? I mean, just these simple shifts in the questions that we ask ourselves, especially in the formative years, right? Even as small children, we're led to believe you become one thing when you grow up. And that's what you do for the rest of your life. It's like like that mentality is so woven in, man. Yeah, man. I mean, and like, at least for me in my process, because like this whole idea of decolonization and like things being more than they seem, you know, it was only brought to my attention, I would say, within the last probably the last three or four years, right? Where, you know, I think there's always been an inner knowing for me and I've always been a curious kid, but like really last three or four years. So like one of the big questions that I like to ask myself and when I'm like navigating this just in through my life when it comes up is like, well, whose thought is that, right? Which is really for me, code word of like, is that something that I actually came up with or is that something that someone told me and I really never looked further into it? I just assumed it to be true. So that's a big one that I think about. And then, uh, you know, for at this point, my moral code is pretty tight. So, you know, that's also something that I always check back into and, and use that as like the, my navigation tool through all the things that come up in the world. But, you know, it's definitely a fact, especially you bringing up uh, schooling, like public school is definitely geared to a very specific outcome. Right. So which is like, like the continuation of the things, how they are. So most likely if you learn it in school, then like, hit Google and learn some more. (laughs) Yeah, man. I want to riff a little bit off of the moral code because I know that's a big piece of, of what you brought in here today. What about in those times where it's hard to defend your moral code? You know, what do you, how, how do you find, especially, especially in the society we live in where you can really be challenged by other people? Where do you find that firm moral ground to stand on in the face of adversity, in the face of people who want to, defame you, deface you, beat the shit out of you for the things you want to stand up for? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, first and foremost, it wouldn't be a moral code if there was no adversity, right? It would just be like a group of words that you put on a piece of paper because they sounded good. So like these things have to happen in your life in order to develop them. Now, for some people, it's going to be more extreme than others. And it's, you know, it's not easy. It's not easy. So I think the the biggest thing is as those things come up, I'm not necessarily talking about like someone whooping your ass because you're taking the stand for something, but because that is an extreme situation that is happening to people, but that's not going to be like the situation every time you have an opportunity in life to stand up for what you believe in, right? So as these opportunities come up, really viewing them as uh, opportunities to practice and own what it is that you say you are. So for me, that's been a big shift. And then, you know, there's also the feeling of selling out one of your moral codes, which I've done that before. It fucking sucks. It hurts. It hurts way more than whatever heat you're dealing with or I've dealt with in standing up for what I believe in, you know, selling out on honesty or selling out on integrity or courage, 
right? Holding my voice in when there's a moment for me to really stand up and speak up for someone or speak up for something that's wrong. Definitely been in situations like that in my life, man. And I still can think about those times now. And they were, you know, however many years ago, however long ago, and however many things have happened since then. But I can still remember that time, you know, there was this one kid on the bus that was like getting made fun of and beat up for, you know, stupid things. And I, I didn't say anything, right? That was from like grade school, you know, and it's like a small thing, but the pain is still there. Yeah. You brought in a lot of powerful wisdom and insights today, ideas and thoughts and reflections that will be relevant to any man, regardless of background, color, race, creed, whatever. And women too, for that matter. I think this is, you know, this, this concept of decolonization and, and finding our own truth, knowing ourselves. that's something we all get to take on. But I also know specifically your, your mission and where you're channeling your energy into now is, is serving those communities, uh, the men of color and men from minority backgrounds. And so tell us a little bit about why that's such a big passion of yours right now and, and where you want to head in that direction. What, what do you want to see? What's your vision? No doubt, man. So, you know, I guess for me, before I get into my vision, it's just like how I deem this as my purpose or the thing that I wanted to, to really pursue and tackle the past eight years, I've either been in self-development work or men's work, right? And uh, has just been diving deeper into that space and really, you know, just been committed to this journey of becoming the best man I, I could possibly be and really get the most out of life that I possibly can. And then in all these spaces, you know, so there's those spaces and also um, Native American church and the Red Road has been another really big one for me. So in all these spaces, I'm just like, where are the people that look like me? You know, where are like, you know, where are my brothers that are, you know, that are brown that kind of share some sort of story or background that I do? Just like not, I wasn't seeing them. Not to say that brown men don't do men's work because I, I don't think that's true. There's great men out there that are providing things for men of color, but we need more. We need more, man. It's like we need more of us in this space. And I think the reason for that is there's a big importance of having our own space, just like it's important for men in general to have a space separate from women to be able to dive deeper into traumas and emotions and pain and all these things that are for the process of healing, right? It's the same for men of color. You know, there, there is certain things and certain shared experiences that we have and that would really be beneficial to be expressed in a safe container like that, right? So I also think there's an importance of this bigger conversation that can eventually happen, which is bringing all these stories together because uh, one thing that you that you say that I really love is this, uh, the first medicine of men is the medicine of relatability, right? So I think we relate in our smaller hoops and that hoop keeps getting bigger, bringing more and more hoops together. So I think in this process of bringing this work to men of color, it's for me, it's really, it's all about creating better leaders, right? Because I want this world to be better. I, my why, which I shared in the beginning is having a, actually having a world for seven generations from now and having a beautiful world that functions and is way more amazing than the one we have now. And the only way for that to happen is for leaders to step up. And so, you know, what I see my part is, is like, I've been practicing for the last five years and making, helping to make men leaders, right? So I want to just do that same thing for men of color, make them better leaders. And a lot of that has to do with things we talked about before, you know, in unlearning and relearning who we are so that from there we can develop a clear purpose and then fucking chase that purpose like our life depended on it. 
Yeah, man, that's beautiful. I know that so much of the work that I've seen you do, I, and we've had conversations about this, just the, the vision, the visual of having men from different races, different backgrounds who, who share similar experiences circling around those fires that you and I have become so accustomed to and going into those places that we know that are available to them. And even just, even just that step one, right? Like, Hey, this work's available and it's, it's not some, you know, woo woo, spiritual, esoteric bullshit. It's really just like the, the, the simple process you said of forgetting the things about you that you learn that aren't true and replacing them with the things that you know about yourself to be true and claiming that and then walking your path on this planet. It's so simple. It's so masculine. It's so, it's so you, man. And I love seeing that come through in the work that you're doing now. What would you have to say to the guys out there who are hearing this and are like, all right, okay, I kind of vibe with what this dude's saying. Maybe I'm going to check it out. I'm not quite so sure because I'm not, I'm new to this. What's, what's the word you have to send to those guys? Bro, let's be in the conversation. That's like, that's really it, man. You know, all, all of these things occur because we don't have conversations about them. We don't talk about them. And like, you know, I am definitely not claiming that I have the answers to everything, but there are some things that I do know. And those are the things that I teach. And those are things that I preach. And those are things that I help men out with, you know? So I think there's just an element of like being in the conversation of like, what do we need to heal as men, men of color? What do we need to unlearn? as men of color? And then how can we step forward? How are you going to choose to step forward and take that responsibility for being the man you've always dreamed of being? You know, that, that's what I know how to do. So I guess also just like for people that are more curious about it, I think the, there's elements of it that like, if there's any curiosity, just like shoot me a message. Like, again, let's, let's chat. It's like, I'm, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not trying to be on a soapbox or anything. I'm trying to be on a communication and be, you know, feet on the earth, just like every other man that I come in contact with, you know? Mm -hmm. Heck yeah, man. And for those of you guys who are listening, you guys have heard me speak glowingly about this man. I can't say enough about who he is and how he shows up in the world. You're just experiencing a drop in the bucket of who he is. You know, you're a guy that I trust with my life, a guy that I trust to take care of my family if I wasn't here. And I know that you're going to take care of these men and that you're going to bring this medicine that you've got in your heart forward in a bigger and bigger way. So anybody out there who's like, man, this dude Phil sounds pretty cool. He's all right. But you should definitely drop him a message, though. <laughs> you should definitely hit him up. You should definitely find out and follow what he's doing because... Yeah, man, I really see big things coming and I'm grateful. I'm grateful that you're taking this step forward to help this community of men because the reality is, is that there are guys out there who are only going to be able to hear this message from a man like you. And any of those guys who are listening right now who are like, yeah, that's exactly it. This guy is speaking my language. I don't know what it is, but he's, he's dialing it in. Follow that, follow that curiosity and follow it to a man who can understand what your experience has been, what you're going through and where you guys can go together. Is there anything that you want to drop here as far as where you want guys to go to connect with you or, or what's coming up next? Anything that you're excited about? Maybe maybe season the, the terrain a little bit, give them some teasers of the things that might be coming in the future. For sure, for sure. Definitely the best way to get in contact with me is on Instagram, Phil J. Gomez. Send me a message there. Let's start the conversation, doing one-on-one -on -one coaching with people and really just diving into a lot of things that I talked about today a little bit deeper and currently working on a group program. So that should be coming out in the next couple of weeks here. So be on the lookout for that for sure. Heck yeah. Yeah. And as, as soon as all that's up and running, we're, we'll make sure that we blow it up and everybody knows where to go find it. Because yeah, this man right here is doing, doing great things and it's, it's only about to get bigger. Any last words before we put a bow on this, on this baby? 
the biggest thing I, I was like, you know, in preparing for this, I was just kind of thinking about all the people I looked up to and all, you know, all the things that have kind of led me to this train of thought that I'm on that I got to share with you today. And I was just thinking about like that Malcolm X quote that I've like known forever. And every time I go back to it, I'm in a different state of my life. And it's like, you know, a man who stands for nothing will fall for anything. And it's like, I've known that quote since I was a kid. You know, it, it just rings true right now. It's just the, just the importance of really coming to know who you are and what you're about. And, you know, that's only going to result in you turning things to gold. You know, whatever you touch from that space is going to be gold. So if there's anything that I can share with all men out there, it's stand for something. Beautiful, bro. Thank you for bringing your full self here today. It's a gift. I learn something almost every time that you start speaking and <laughs> you teach me a lot. I learned a lot today just by listening to you. And it's, it's been an honor to see you bring your, your full medicine forward, man. I love you a lot, bro. Appreciate everything that you're doing for this world and for the future. No doubt, bro. I really appreciate you having me on here today. The other thing I don't want to forget is like, come check me out at Compass with Jetty. Sign up for that as well, as well as Inferno doing work with us over there. So again, I really appreciate you having me on here today and just diving deep into this conversation. It's it's what, what I love. I don't know how I'm going to be able to go to sleep tonight. <laughs> <laughs> all pumped up. Beautiful, man. Well, we'll make sure we catch up with you further down the road so we can hear all about those amazing things that you're doing, man. Hell yeah. Much love, bro. This was a powerful episode. I hope that you guys were able to receive all that good wisdom and medicine that my bro Phil dropped in here today. Truly a powerful dude and I really encourage you guys to go and follow him. He has made it his mission to step forward and bring all that medicine he's been cooking up over the years to our community of men, especially men of color. So if you're listening to this and you resonate with what Phil's dropping, please go give him a follow. We drop all the links and everything else for these episodes on the website at risingman.org. While you're there, make sure you sign up for the fire circles for the next round of Inferno. Join us for the next four-day wilderness fast in the springtime for our Compass Spring Group. Whatever it is, jump in full, head first, <laughs> no thinking about it, just do it over at risingman.org. Go, go check it out right now. And subscribe or follow us wherever you're listening to the podcast. And also check us out on Instagram at Rising Man Movement and our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash the Rising Man Movement. Big shouts to my power team, starting off with Sean Offenbach, turning this episode out quickly on a dime this week. And Julian as well for getting all those show notes up with a quick turnaround. Ryan, Rowan, and Mark as well for everything you guys do. I appreciate you so much. Until next time, rise up and claim your destiny. <laughs>